0: me. We're just checking out here. We're good. All right. We're good to go. We'll just assume you folks at home are able to hear me too. Good. Uh, I'm not going to pay much attention to you because uh, I got this crowd. There must be 5,000 people I got to feed with loaves and fish in just a little while. Well, maybe not quite 5,000. Make my job easier. But good to be here this morning. We got a little wind going on. So if my COVID hair shows up, deal with it. Um, i am and uh so this morning as we um uh, as we come together around god's word what i want to do is is i want to uh unpack a story and it's a very very familiar story uh to i think to all of us really it's one of those stories that jesus told that kind of has almost a universal appeal but what i want to remind you of before we go into the story is that these stories of Jesus you know the ones we call parables these parables are are unique from other stories as Jesus tells them you know lots of times we have stories stories in our culture stories that may even cross cultures this one does that but we have stories in that the, the end of the story there's a moral to the story what's the moral to the story uh, like we've got the story about the tortoise and the hare, right? And the moral of the story, slow and steady can beat quick and erratic. And Aesop's fables, there's moral to it. At the end of the story, there's a, there's a moral, there's, a, there's that point being made. The stories of Jesus, however, are what we call kingdom stories. These parables, I believe, are always... Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God. So understand that term with me for just a moment, will you? I'm going to try and make it kind of kind of simple. You can spend a lot of time talking about, it, but in in the simplest way to put it is this. The kingdom of God, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, and by the way, he says that he brings the kingdom of God. In fact, he says the kingdom of God is basically in him. He stands amongst a group of people, and he says the kingdom of God is near. He's talking about himself. Uh, He says the kingdom of God is in your midst. He's talking about himself. He could just well be pointing to himself. Maybe he did, because Jesus came to reveal the kingdom of God. So what's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the way things look like when God is in charge not just the way they look like it's the way things are and will be when god wherever god is in charge this is what the kingdom will look like so when jesus tells a story it's like he's saying look when god's in charge wherever god's in charge this is what life looks like remember the lord's prayer our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come Thy will be done. It's called a parallelism, by the way. Kingdom come, will be done, mean the same thing. When God is in charge, God's will is being done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth. As it is in heaven. God, we don't want to wait for heaven. For your will to be done, for your kingdom to come. So Jesus says in these stories, Look, you want to know... You want to know how you might be, how you might act, what things might look like, wherever the kingdom of God is present, wherever the kingdom of God has been demonstrated, listen to this story. Often he starts the stories, the kingdom of God is like. This one doesn't start that way. We're going to look today at that familiar parable, the Good Samaritan. So we're in Luke chapter 10. We're uh, at verse 25 through 37. If you want to follow along, feel free to do that. Parable of the Good Samaritan. Pray with me for just a moment. God, would you be present right here? May your kingdom come right here so that we may hear clearly the message that Jesus has for us today. In his name we pray, amen. So here starts the story, and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, we're just going to... Get into the story and go along with it, all right? On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Get the scene. Jesus is sitting, and he's teaching. Maybe he's on a bit of a rock. He may be just on the ground, and he's got a group of people around him. He's got his followers around him. But uh, there's somebody else here, this expert in the law. Who is this expert in the law? Well, he's an expert in the law of Moses. He may be a scribe. He may be a Pharisee. Most likely, as we continue with the story, he's, a, he's there to spy on Jesus. Because the authorities back in Jerusalem, Jesus doesn't get there often, but when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, uh, he causes a commotion. And so they've, they've heard about him and what he's doing. They've sent, they've sent somebody up to follow him around. And this guy stands up. That's interesting. Here's why. Everybody's sitting. If you have a question of the teacher, you don't raise your hand. You stand up. You stand up out of respect. That's the way the culture in that day worked. All right? Here we'd raise a hand, right? You just stand up on one occasion an expert of the law stood up so he's got a question but was this an act of respect I don't think so he stands up to test Jesus he's going to ask Jesus a question he's going to start a conversation and his intent is clear he wants to trap Jesus he wants to get Jesus to say something he's an expert in the law the law of Moses so he wants to get Jesus to say something Contrary to the law of Moses, something Jesus shouldn't say so that the masses who are following Jesus will get the idea. He's not really one of them, but mostly so that his bosses back in Jerusalem have some evidence against Jesus. So he gets up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus has been talking about that theme. It's not an unfamiliar theme. Uh, Jesus may mean something different than a lot of other people uh, do, but he's asking that question. If I, if I wanna, if I wanna be in this age that is to come, the new age that we're all waiting for to come, the new age that even you talk about Jesus, what must I do to inherit that? Kind of an interesting question. Already gives something away about the guy, doesn't it? That he's an expert in the law. He wants to know what to do. To inherit. Do to inherit, isn't inherit more like a gift? If you're in someone's will, isn't that a gift to you? What, are, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, G-, this is a familiar, familiar way of Jesus to deal with a question. What does he do? He asks a question. You ask me a question, I'll ask you a question. It's a good, uh, good teaching method, by the way. So Jesus says, well, what is written in the law? After all, he's, he's, he's got an expert in the law in front of him, right? What's written in the law? How do you read it, he says to the guy. And the guy answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. Oh, and love your neighbor as yourself. Where did he get that? Well, two places. He might have been following Jesus along because, around because, remember, that's what how Jesus responds when someone asks him what's the greatest commandments in the law. But even more likely, this guy just got it from the book he and Jesus share. Way back in Deuteronomy, chapter 5 or 6, comes the first one, love the Lord your God with your whole being. And in Leviticus, chapter 19, comes love your neighbor as yourself. So, Jesus says to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Sort of like Jesus saying to him, well, well you got it right. Now, why don't you go follow your, follow your own advice? Live up to these standards. Live up to these standards consistently and you'll have eternal life. And we grace people ask the question, is Jesus saying you can earn salvation? That's exactly what he's saying. If you don't break the law, ever, you can earn salvation. Then cut rest of the uh, more of the story. The guy says he wants to justify himself. All right? He wants to feel right about himself. He wants to feel he's got it right. And uh, so he says, "Who is my neighbor?" He wants to justify himself. He wants to. He wants to be all right he wants to make sure he's got it straight and and uh what answer do you suppose he might be expecting from jesus again remember he and jesus share the same book torah pentateuch and more but right now that's where we're at we're in the teachings of moses and this guy knows what the book says He's read Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Do not seek vengeance or bear a grudge against, here it comes, anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What did the command say? Who is my neighbor? Anyone among my people. These are all Jews. but this guy has also read the rest of Leviticus 19 so he's here he's he's familiar with this verse when foreigners strangers foreigners reside among you in your land do not mistreat them the foreigners residing among you got that the foreigners living in the land with you must be treated as your native born love them as yourself love your neighbor your fellow Jew as yourself love the foreigners living in your midst as yourself God's still speaking and God says because you were once foreigners in Egypt I'm the Lord so this guy is trying to see where Jesus is going to go what's what's that about What what might he be thinking here's what I think he might be thinking pretty sure about this because this is luke's version this is luke's story and back in chapter four of luke's gospel just six chapters earlier now jesus has just come out of his baptism out of his 40 days in the wilderness he's been going around teaching he's got this reputation going he shows up in his hometown shows up at the synagogue in his hometown and uh, they say, hey, since you're a fam- famous rabbi, I mean, and you're one of our own, what, why don't you go ahead and read from the scriptures and tell us what the scriptures mean. Go ahead and preach, Jesus. So Jesus takes out scroll from Isaiah, and he reads about how the Spirit of the Lord is on me to preach good news to the poor and free the prisoner and all that. Okay, powerful stuff, the mission statement of Jesus. And then Jesus sits down after saying... Uh, what I just read is fulfilled in your, in your midst, and everybody's amazed. Okay, they're they're amazed with you. His hometown. These are the people who know. This is his synagogue, his home church, the church he, the synagogue he grew up in. Right? They're all amazed. And then Jesus continues to, to speak, and he says this thing about a prophet not being respected in his own hometown. And then he, then he makes two illusions or illustrations that he throws out to the people. He, he tells them about Elijah, Elijah the prophet. Moses was the great of, Israel, of Israel's prophets. Elijah's number two. Elisha's probably number three. He says, Elijah, remember Elijah? At the time of that big drought, three and a half a, a year drought, remember Elijah? Elijah, there were plenty of widows in Israel, So Elijah could have gone to one of those uh, uh, widows in Israel for help, but he didn't. He stepped beyond the boundaries, went into Sidon to a place called Zarephath, a village, and he stayed with a widow there. She cared for him. He provided for her, multiplied the oil so she could keep making bread. And there even came that moment when that widow's son grew ill, gravely ill, died, Elijah. Makes him well again. And this happened outside of the boundaries of Israel. He's telling this to the people in his hometown. And they said, Oh, and by the way, remember Elisha? Remember how Elisha, Elisha, this guy by the name of Naaman, who's a military general, he comes from Syria. Syria is our enemy, by the way. He comes from Syria to Elisha to be healed of leprosy. Now, there were all kinds of other lepers in Israel, but Elisha. Healed him. The people hear this, and the people who had been talking all kinds of good things about their own hometown boy all of a sudden turn on him. They are furious. Why are they furious? Because Jesus has just said that the love and the provision of God goes beyond this people, goes beyond just we Jews, goes beyond us to others. They're furious his own hometown people what do they do they take him out of town to uh, the brow of, the, of a cliff and they're going to throw him over the cliff and then there's that really brief verse that says but jesus walked through the midst of them and he never returned to his home town turned his back on them so that's the context And I think this guy is hoping that Jesus is somehow going to go there so that people are upset with him again. In reply, in reply to the man's question, what's the question? Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I've been on that road. It is down. It's a 17-mile hike. And it's, uh, it's virtually all downhill, a few resting spots, are, you know, but it's virtually all downhill, so they're going down, and it's a very narrow path, by the way, told you, I've been on it, just, just to the right there's this uh, drop-off that goes into a wadi there, that's the area anyway, the three miles that I walked, and you don't want to fall down into that, it uh, probably won't kill you unless water all of a sudden quickly comes into the wadi. It's a dry, wet uh, riverbed. You don't want to do that. Climbing up is no fun. It's a very narrow road, all right? So a man's going down from Jerusalem to Jer- 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 Jericho when he's attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. Most likely the guy resisted. That's why they beat him. If he'd have just given him everything, it'd be fine. But he resists. He gets beating, beaten, beaten. He's half dead, lying by the side of the road, uh, Jesus says. They've taken everything. And then this, verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, try to remember, this is a Jew speaking, Jesus. He's speaking to Jews, And he's got this expert of the law standing who asked him the question, who Jesus knows is there without good intentions, and he knows that he came from Jerusalem to test Jesus. So this is the scene. This is who he's talking to. So who is the priest? Well, obviously he's a Jew, because he's a priest. Uh, He's on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. What we know is that many of the priests, their homes were in Jericho. Their temple duties, they'd go serve for about two weeks at a time. Their temple duties were in Jerusalem. So he's probably just coming off of his temple duties. He's headed down to Jericho, and he comes by this guy who's naked by the side of the road. Well, this is a dilemma for him, because here's the deal. He's on his way home, on his way to his family. If he goes over there and the guy's dead and he touches him he's unclean he's gotta go right back to jerusalem he has to stay in jerusalem for a week being purified and during that week he's off salary he doesn't get paid all right so he's got this dilemma oh here's more to the dilemma though if the guy by the side of the room. A road is Jewish, which in all likelihood is what he is. This is Jewish territory. Almost certainly he's a Jew. So if he's a Jew, the law says he has to stop and help him no matter what. That's a dilemma for the guy. So he passes by on the other side. He doesn't even go look. Why doesn't he look? He doesn't go look because he's He's already got evidence that he doesn't know whether this is a Jew or not because the guy's not got any clothes on, so he doesn't recognize Jewish clothes. And uh, if if the guy's dead, remember, and he touches him to find out if he's dead, he's unclean. And if he and if he gets too close to the guy, all he has to look there's a way you can tell whether the man is a Jew. Because the man went through a ritual eight days after he was born that leaves clear evidence in his body that he's a Jew. So he passes by on the other side. Then Jesus says, So to a Levite, when he, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. Okay, who's the Levite? priest does his deal up in Jerusalem. He gets help from the Levites. So this Levite is a helper of the priests. The Levites, they're from the tribe of Levi. That's the tribe of Moses and Aaron. It's, it's a, a tribe who were designated to be helpers in the tabernacle, first of all, and then in the temple. It's an important position, and, uh, but it's a servant position. So the Levite comes by, and he passes by on the other side. Why would, why would he do that? Well, for pretty much the same reasons as the priest. Oh, there, there could be one more. You know, it's possible that he knows the priest was ahead of him. They may have left at approximately the right time. And the, the priest, by the way, would have been wealthier. So, in all likelihood, he had a ride. Which means he had the means to help the guy. But he most likely had a ride, so he's ahead of the priest. The priest, the priest may know. I mean, the Levi may know that the priest already passed by. If he now takes and <coughs> helps this guy takes him into Jericho he's going to upstate the priest he's going to be entrusted with the trouble with the priest for whatever reason he does the same thing now remember these two guys have are have religious positions let's think of them for just a moment as the uh, senior pastor of the church and an elder in the church okay the priest and the, they've got position they they've got position so you're sitting there you're just a common ordinary jew listening to jesus that's who you are you're you're lay person Let's think of it that way you don't have any position in the church and you're listening to this story and you're feeling you're feeling kind of good because the the truth is um, you're out here in galilee and uh, you're not much in touch with priests and levites but uh, you know they do pretty well for themselves and largely at your, at your expense so so you're thinking oh boy I mean you know something's coming. You know somebody's coming. And you're thinking to yourself it's going to be us. It's going to be me. The hero's coming because that's the way these stories worked by the way. Jesus is probably building on a familiar story. Just making it his story and a different story. So everybody's sitting there waiting, okay, here we go. We know who the hero's going to be. But a Samaritan. Now, if you were there in that day, sitting with that group, and you heard that word, you are stunned. Did not see that coming. No way. The hero of the story, there must be more to it. The hero of the. A Samaritan, because you're a Jew. You despise the Samaritans. The Samaritans are half-breeds. Five centuries before when uh, the Jewish people were conquered by the Babylonians and the Babylonians took uh, all of the nobles, the king's sons, the nobles, the artisans, people who had anything to contribute to their culture, really to contribute to their... They took them all out. They left uh, the peasants and the villagers, the... That's who they left behind. And during the time of the Babylonian exile, those who were left behind, many of whom had lost spouses because the Babylonians were vicious and a lot of people had died, they intermarried with the Canaanite people around them. And they became the Samaritans. And they were half-breeds. And over those centuries of time, this hatred continued to develop because, well, the Samaritans also claimed the first five books of Moses as their sacred literature. But they'd made changes to it. Theirs wasn't exactly like yours. And oh, well, they didn't worship on Mount Zion, Jerusalem. They, they had their own mountain, Mount Gerizim, where they were there. And so these, these, these were bitter enemies, right? You've heard that story before, I suspect, all right? And uh, they don't have anything to do with one another. But all of a sudden, here we go. But a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Pity, the word in the Greek could could be translated compassion. He had compassion for him. He saw him. I mean, think about the contrast that Jesus is making in the story, right? The others come, they pass by on the other side. He doesn't pass by on the other side. The impression you get as you're listening to the story is the guy went over. He saw a man in need. And he he dealt with the man in need. Let's continue reading the story. He went to him and bandaged his his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of himself. This is a Samaritan with some means, by the way, which is probably why he was allowed to pass through Judea. He did business up in Jerusalem. You know, you... Put something in my palm. I'll put it in your palm. We'll take care of each other. That—that's that, most likely who this—who this guy is. He's a guy with means. And what does he do? He—he he uses anything and everything at his disposal. Oil and wine, which would be meant to take care of open wounds. He—he he uses bandages. And he didn't have band—he didn't have, you know, bandages with him. He probably had to reach into his backpack, pull out some clothes, and rip the clothes up and use those clothes as bandages. And then he puts the guy on the donkey. He puts the guy on the donkey and, uh, he, uh, and, and he takes him to an end. Now we're in Jericho, most likely, where he's going to take care of him. Here's what I want you to hear. I want you to, you to hear this well. This is a dangerous thing for this guy to do. I mean, imagine. He's a Samaritan. He's a hated Samaritan. And the best plan he could have had was as he came near to Jericho, just put the man off to the side of a well-traveled road and gone on his way for somebody else to find him. But he doesn't do that. He takes the next risk. He goes into a Jewish town, to a Jewish inn. He's had time to think about this, folks, from when he first put the guy on the donkey to when he gets to... he's, He's had time to think about this. He knows the trouble he's got here. And he stays to make sure the man is cared for overnight. He stays overnight. He's got the whole night to sleep on it. But he stays. And the next morning, the next day, he took out two denarii. That's enough to take care of the man for a while. Gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. I want you to take good care of this guy. Do what you need to do. All right. Let's keep. Let Let's get right to it. Which of these Jesus is talking now? He's told the story. Don't forget who the hero of the story is. Samaritan. Not one of us. Bad guy. I like to compare this story um, to. Uh, let's say there's a Christian. In Iraq. Muslims and Christians don't get along too well in Iraq, in case you didn't know that. And the guy's driving his car down a road in Iraq. He's a Christian. Picture a pretty old car, by the way. Alright? And he sees a man by the side of the road. And he knows by the clothes he's wearing, he knows he's a Muslim. But he's hurting, he's been injured somehow. So, what to do? safe thing to do is drive on and get the heck out of there. But he takes the man, puts him in the back seat, and drives into the next town, which he knows is a town controlled by ISIS. That's the story. That's what the Samaritan does. The conversation between Jesus and the expert in the law. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? Notice how Jesus is turning the question question was, who is my neighbor? Jesus is saying, I want to talk to you about what you do to your neighbor. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor, acted like a neighbor, to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? The expert in the law replied, he's trapped. Notice what he says, but see if you can catch what he doesn't say. He says, the one who had mercy on him. What did he say? The one who had mercy on him. What didn't he say? The Samaritan who had mercy on him. This guy gets it. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, that's the moral of the story. The moral of the story is go and do likewise. Go and do what the Samaritan did. You see your neighbor by the side of the road, deal with your neighbor. Whatever your neighbor needs, meet your neighbor's need. Care for your neighbor. Show compassion on your neighbor. That's easy. right? That's clear. That's the moral of the story. But the Samaritan is the big deal in the story. Because the Samaritan isn't one of us. I mean, the Samaritan can't get much different than us. This is someone we despise. We don't like. We're angry with. This is this is someone we don't even think should be passing through our land. He may have some special circumstances going, but what's he doing here? This remember is Jesus telling the story meant to reflect the kingdom of God. So what's he getting at? It seems to me he's getting at this. In the kingdom, these barriers that you all have put up, these hatreds between tribes and races and nations and neighbors, that's not the kingdom. If, if you're trying to live a kingdom life, then you don't live that kind of a life. If you want to see God's kingdom come to earth, then you're working. You're working for something different. You're working for something where, where the barriers are down. The Apostle Paul would pick up on this in at least two places, and in, in his letters he would pick up on it in the book of Galatians where he would say there is neither Jew nor Greek, Jew nor Gentile, free nor slave, man nor woman. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Those barriers are gone now. Apostle Paul would do that in the book of Ephesians too when he would talk about the dividing walls of hostility and how that in Jesus, and he was talking about the primary one between Jews and Gentiles, between races. Saying the dividing walls of hostility come down in Jesus. And that's what the Samaritan says. That's why when you read this story, be less concerned. I didn't say don't be concerned, but be less concerned. Be less concerned about the moral of the story. And more concerned about the kingdom principle of the story that you and I to live out. Go and do thou likewise. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Wow, well, God, we, we thank you for the gift of story, and particularly these stories told by Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see ears to hear, minds to understand, that we might leave this moment and this space that is both real space and virtual space, that we might leave this space to go and do likewise. In Jesus' name.